Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. Andy and I are back this week to continue a conversation that we previously started. Now, this episode is a little bit different than our normal. We got a question from a colleague who wanted to know, hey, what are some of the most important lessons that you and Andy wish that you had learned before you became a leader? We thought it was such a wonderful question. Both of us uh, had extensive lists. And actually, I think that we wound up talking about not a whole lot that was on the original list because we got so into the discussion. We had so much fun making this. I'm just going to say, let's get into it. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and the one and only Stephanie Partugas. (laughs) (laughs) That was such a cop out. Oh, what is it? Come on. I thought it was great. I was, I was like, like, what great song lyric does he have for this? I thought you're like, ha ha. There's no He's going to have to get real it's creative for this part two part episode two. of the podcast. Yeah. How's it going, Andy Rourke? It's good. It's really good. Um, yeah, man. Holy cripes. A lot going on. We are we are uh, in the in the swing of things now. We got a lot of stuff going on. Enjoyed talking with you earlier today about uh, some logistics some hotel management uh, and a, a room arrangement for the Practice Leader Summit, which is open to practice owners and practice managers only at the end of the year. That's right. It'll be only practice owners and practice managers. Those are the only uh, job types that we're going to take. And we're going to have them, uh, they're going to separate and have a day to themselves in only uh, only manager group and an only owner group. And then they're going to come back together and do a manager-owner working collaboratively type uh, day. It's going to be really good. And then there's some people who are like, I work in a practice. We don't have a practice owner. That's totally fine. We've got to work around for that. Um, but that's that's going to be the idea is separate groups. Uh, I, I would, my idea is to try to have like too many conferences at the same time and then bring them together for this like magical everybody back together taking what they used uh, in their separate uh, sessions and doing something awesome with it at the end of the at the end of the event. So that's that's what's going to happen. And my idea is that the most valuable time we spend out of the clinic is when we work together. And so you're going to take your idea and my idea and we're going to mash it up and yep. we're going to do work time and we're going to have separate group conversation time. And I am we're going to we're going to make a new baby project. And I am yep. so, so pumped for this. And I imagine some of our listeners who are going, well, but I'm a practice leader, but I'm not a practice owner and I'm not a practice manager. And we hear you. We yep. are working on practice leadership is, uh, our, you know, you and I's jam and we want to continue to create spaces. And so this is just the starting point. Yep. In December, we are starting with our owners and our managers and bringing them together. But fear not if you do not fall into one of those two categories, because we have got all kinds of stuff coming and I am so yeah. excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm super pumped. We're going to start. Uh, we are really bracing out and we are going to go hard on our uh, medical directors and our team leads. And so We've got virtual events for them. And then next year, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'd like to keep rolling people together. And we're going to be in Greenville in December, as we do, which is beautiful. And I love how Greenville gets into the holiday spirit. And you and I are getting ready to take our show on the road a little bit. 
That's right. And so we've got some new events uh, this year, one of which is happening in the fall, and there'll be more info coming, but uh, we are are going out on the road. And so if you're like, you know, I haven't been able to get to Greenville, but maybe I would would like to do Uncharted on the West Coast. What? Uh, (laughs) On the West Coast? Uh, It's going to be fun. I told you. I told you guys this year. We're shaking, we're shaking it up. Um, oh, okay, man. so you called me Stephanie Goss, uh, Stephanie Part Two Goss, because uh, we are picking up where we left off earlier today when you and I yeah. were recording. But I don't know how that shakes out with our episodes. Uh, but you and I d- recently did an episode um, because we got I got asked by um, a newer manager in our Uncharted community. Hey, uh, I would love. Even though it doesn't fit your mailbag format, I would love to hear you and Andy talk about some of the lessons you wish you had learned before you became a leader or some of the things that uh, you wish that you knew or learned with hindsight. And uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, you should go back and listen to it because we had so much fun and we got about a quarter of the way through. And I think we both uh, looked at each other and it's kind of weird how we can read each other's minds now at this point sometimes. Uh, And we both gave each other that look of like, oh, this is going to be two parts because we're never going to get through all of this. (laughs) And so here you go. Part two. Here we are. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off and talk uh, about some more of the lessons that we wish wish we had learned. I I've got one. All right, I've got one. <laughs> so just hear me all the way out before anybody reacts. All right, okay. is that me included? I yeah, I'm that's gonna, definitely okay, I'm gonna sit on my hands and sit my included. mouth. Okay, because I can see you not liking what I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. But, but bear, I, ultimately you I think you'll come around. But I think of the, your initial reaction. Challenge be accepted. Um, okay, you caveat. You need to care about how your team is feeling, but not that much. Okay. <laughs> not that much. And and I say that not like, okay, but it probably depends on who you are as a person. But I would tell you, again, I'm giving advice, things that I wish that I knew before I got started. Okay. I always allowed myself to hear and internalize the feelings of my team and the people that I was leading. And that is good because we want people to be heard and we definitely want to empathize with the people that we're leading and understand them. And all those things are true. Sure. However, for me, that led to wild fluctuations in my experience (laughs) day to day. And it took me a decade to realize that somebody is always going to be upset about something. And if you internalize the feelings of everyone who comes into your office, you're going to be manic. You are going to be on this high and low roller coaster all the time. And honestly, let's be honest, it's usually low to horribly low to uh, terrified. It's usually fear to anger to frustration back to fear. Because sure. people are like, Andy, I need to interrupt you and share my positive feelings with you. Right. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> Once in a blue moon, somebody Once comes in, in and is like, Andy, I'm so excited to tell you about this thing I just did. Right. But 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 there's two there's two reasons for this. And the first one is uh, if you just take in the feelings of the people that you're leading, you will you will go bonkers because it will just be this constant emotional. Rush. It's like if you were to internalize, I guess this is a good metaphor. It's like if you were internalized the feelings of the pet owners you take care of. I think every doctor knows that's a bad idea because it's exhausting 
Like it is a path to burnout. Like you cannot feel the euthanasia the way that the owner feels the euthanasia. And if you do, I'm worried about your longevity in this profession because sure. you will, you will just, you just can't, you just can't put that on yourself every day. Can't. It's now, the same thing. Same that thing doesn't yourself. mean that you can't care because right. a lot of people would go, well, what do you mean? I can't care about my patients and I can't, nope. you know, that's hear that's, you. That's but I think not that's what why you're saying. Good, I think that's why it's a good analogy, right? It's like, because no one would be like, Andy doesn't care about the patients that he utilizes. Anyone who knows me knows that's not true. I cannot internalize the emotions of those people and make them my own emotions or it will, it will drown me. And that's, and that's how I think everybody is. But I think that you put your finger right on it. It is a hundred percent possible for me to say, I am not going to empathize, emotionally empathize, but I can still care, but I don't need to feel those feelings. And so I think that that's key just because part one is because of the volume of feelings you're going to get because everybody's got feelings and they are going sure. to have struggles and you can't, it, it sucks that throughout the course of the day, say half the team has some sort of a negative experience. If every one of those experiences then comes together and gets handed to you, you're toast because no one person should have those experiences just piled on top of them. But a lot yes. of people do. And so I had that experience just because it, it comes at you so fast. That's one. The other reason that I didn't understand until much later on is people react in the moment and they get mad and they come and they bring to you this in the moment emotion. And at least for me, I didn't cognitively put that together as a, this is an in the moment emotion, right? The truth is if your staff gets hacked off at the front desk, the techs are mad at the, de at the front desk. And they come to you and they're like, this is a disaster. Nothing is right. Nobody can get along. We're not communicating. They don't seem to know what's going on. The truth is, if you said, great, let's talk about this tomorrow morning. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some notes. We're going to meet up tomorrow morning. And I just want to sort this out. Tomorrow morning, they are not going to feel that way. They might have some of those ideas and there might be validity to what they're saying. Right. But the whole, this business is crashing. Our practice is a sham. We say that we care, we have compassion, and clearly we don't. And like blah, all like all the emotional stuff has generally gone away. But I was never good at that in that when people come to me and something bad has just happened and they're like, I am so mad. I at some level believe that they went home and continued to be mad. And they were mad the next day. They just weren't saying anything about it. And the truth is, that's not how emotions are. Right. And people tend to come to you when their emotions are at their zenith. And so you're seeing them at the height of their emotional output. That's not how they're living their life. But I thought that it was at some level. Sure. I was like, boy, when I saw her, she was so upset. It's like, yeah, she was upset for about 10 minutes, Andy. And then she, she kind of moved on. That doesn't mean that you're going to not care about this. It doesn't mean you're not going to wade in and fix it. But it's... This person is not going home and sobbing themselves to sleep in a puddle that you have to fix this immediately or else they're going to leave. And I think I thought that it was at some level. Does that make sense? It totally does. And I think the other benefit of that, too. Um, so I have <laughs> yet again things that were not on my list. So I'll give you the one that goes to this and then I want to go back to where you started. Sure. Um, so 
going along with this, I think the reality for me was I had to create, I, when I was a young manager, I am soaked up everybody's emotions very yep. similarly to how you were talking, both yeah. clients and team. Um, and it was, it was overwhelming for me at times. And so right. um, I also am um, a very, have a very fiery temper. Um <laughs> I have three brothers and I am scrappy and I learned to fight early and often. And so I, um, I have a temper. And, um, so what I, one of the most painful lessons that I had to learn as a leader was to create the space for myself to have the 24 hour rule because yes. I did a lot of being the person who tried to deal with the things, including my own problems in the, um, in the moment emotion, like you're talking about. And when you're at the pinnacle of your anger or upset or frustration or sadness, whatever the emotions are that you're feeling and you try and deal with it usually is not you might get to the end result that you need to get to but it is a messy winding road to get there um, because you're still processing in real time and one of the most helpful tools that i learned (laughs) again uh better living through therapy uh was this rule for myself that is hard and fast which is i have to give myself the space of 24 hours. And what that means is I try and walk away from emotionally charged situations, whether it's someone else bringing me their emotionally charged situation or me bringing myself to the place where I'm going to deal with an emotionally charged situation and, and process through how do I actually feel about this? Because to your point, maybe I do go home and cry myself to sleep about it. And maybe I am that upset or maybe I go to bed and I'm just like, uh, I wake up the next day and I'm like, I still want to shank somebody like I am yeah. that hacked off about it. That tells me that I need to deal with that problem. Mm-hmm. But if I wake up to your point, if I wake up and I'm like, eh, I'm pissed off about it. I would really like this thing to change in the future, but I'm not screaming mad and ready to smack somebody the way that I was yesterday when I was in the clinic. Right. Like I've moved past that place getting to that point of resolution is going to be so much easier because I've dealt with that emotion. And so the 24 hour rule for, for me was, was really key. And I think you taught me to one up that even more um, in terms of like, not only processing the emotional situations, but allowing yourself some time and space to let your team figure it out because I was always the one who was like, oh, they have a problem. Like my job is to help them. So let me help them with the problem. And you taught me the lesson of don't answer your phone. Yeah. Don't, don't answer the text. Don't answer the Slack message right away yeah. and give them the time and space. And it was amazing to me. I thought, well, then I'm just going to have a whole stack of problems tomorrow, Andy, to deal with or at the end yeah. of my shift to deal with. And uh, what I found was that you were right. And I did say that on record. So you can keep that. Justin is going to create the best Easter egg I've maybe ever have given Andy. Andy Rourke, you were right. That that when you give them the space, like a lot of the time they figure it out. And they either calm down and they have a more coherent like, hey, I need your help and here's what I need your help with. Or they're like, no, nah, I got it. I figured it out. Never mind. And so like though that, like giving myself the 24 hour rule and applying it also to the like 
don't respond to every message right away. Like, yeah, was really key to me finding balance as a as a leader because there's always something. Yeah, give them ten minutes and text back. Uh, do you still need help with this? And see what happens. Uh, and usually the answer will be no. We got we got we figured it out. No, I got someone else to take care of it. Okay, okay, good. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, it, it's funny. Um, so sort of wading back into this for a second. There's there's emotional empathy and there's cognitive empathy. And emotional empathy is like feeling the feelings of others. And cognitive empathy is understanding how that person feels. And so we were talking about euthanasia before. Cognitive empathy is what we want. It's like, I understand the experience this person is having, but I don't need to feel it that way. And, and I, go, I, I, I go back to that as far as you're talking about being sort of an emotion sponge and soaking it up. I, I think that's really what I'm trying to put, put my finger on is cognitive empathy is, is important when you're leading a team is to say, I understand that this person is being affected. And and I guess here's the other part of what I said. When I said you should care about how your team feels, but not that much. You should care about what your team needs and you should care about that a lot. So when someone comes and they're like, I'm so mad because this happened, that doesn't mean when I say you shouldn't care too much, you're like, nah, I should get over it. Like, no, you should look into this and we need to figure this out. However, I don't need to take in that knowledge, I need to fix this, with the emotions tied to it that this is horrible and people are upset and, you know, and, and, and everything's on fire and, you know, the whole team is going to boycott and leave tomorrow morning because they're not. I st- I'm going to deal with this, but I don't need to have that fear, anger, frustration that someone else brought to me while I do. And so I think that's true. To, to your part, I like where you went with this as far as the 24-hour rule because I have emotions. I, I really like that too. I, I think what I would say, so I don't, I don't tend to, I don't have a temper. I, I really don't have a temper. I don't tend to get mad. It happens, but I, 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 I'm not calm. I would not say I'm calm. I would say I, am, I don't tend to get, I don't tend to get angry. That, that's not usually how I go. Anyway, um, sorry, we'll take that again. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> no. Do you think I get angry? No, I don't think you okay. get it. I don't when think you, you said you're really calm and then you didn't say anything else. I was no, like, that's how, I? No, that's how I know that because you don't get angry in the sense like I will. I am a when I get angry, I'm like, a, I'm like, a. I get loud. I get intense. I, I yell. I have brothers. I like to hit things like oh, that, yeah. I, I truly, no. I truly have learned to manage my anger as I've become an adult. You when you truly when I can tell. At least there, I can count on six years of working together. I can probably count on like two fingers the numbers of times that I've seen you actually where I think you were angry, and you do you are very calm, like you, which is abnormal for you. You yeah, are not a I calm person. Yeah, you get okay. very you you get very serious and calm, and it's not like it's just a this is how it's going to be. And, and I can tell that it's not like, that's the scare. That's like the scary Andy. Cause it's like, Oh, okay. Like, because you're not normally the con, like you're normally very expressive, like the opposite of that. So I don't think it's like, Oh, you're a calm person. Like, I think that's how it comes out when you're angry. Well, yeah, exactly right. No, you're, you're spot on. But when you said, Oh, you're calm. I'm like, wait a second. He's like, has she ever worked like, with I me? I thought you were being facetious. There. I was like, Hey, this is me. Anyway, no, you're exactly right. And then I'm glad that you say you can cut on two fingers because it, it does not tend no. to happen I, I yeah. just, it's not it's not how i roll yeah. however i do uh, i am obviously that doesn't mean i'm a robot and i absolutely do get affected and so there are things that happen to me 
uh, you know, or, or like uh, something will happen to the team. And whereas other people might get really angry or necessarily get angry, but I will be affected and it yes. will, you know, it will, I might, I will ruminate on it in a, in a way that's not productive sometimes. So I, I will fall into that. Yes. And so I really, uh, the 24 the hour rule, I think is, I think it's really smart. And, and that's why we talk about, you know, when we talk about safe conversations, can you sit next to this person? Can you smile at them? I think it's right there. The, the thing for me that I didn't, the skill I did not have when I was a young leader that I got later on, that's really been valuable for me is the ability to get present in the moment. And it's like, uh, I, this is not going to be a, a sales pitch for, for meditation. <laughs> uh, but but some but that is what some people do is like you know mindfulness stuff. Sure. I for me I had to realize that rumination is not good for me, and I had to come up with a couple of things that helped me to get out of that trap of like just fruitlessly burning my mental gas as fast as I could. Well, you know? because let's be real, you end up in a cardboard box in the woods, and so right. you need a, a coping mechanism to get yourself out of that box. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the cardboard box in the woods in okay. a second where that comes from, because that because that's a big thing for me is the cardboard box in the woods. Uh, but I do, but I have that couple minutes and get out of that. And so the the big things for me, and the, the first thing I would say is everybody's got to find their own thing, right? Right? Like everyone's brain is different. So I'll tell yes. you what what works for me that it probably won't work for you, or it won't be the best thing for you. You have to find your own thing. But every leader should figure out how to get present and set that stuff down. And yes. if you cannot set that stuff down, if you're like, nope. I get anxious. I get I get worried. I I start ruminating. I get stuck in a, in this sort of toxic uh, fake argument in my head. You've got to figure out how to get out of that. And so everybody's got to find their own way. And so for me, one of the big things that that I that I sort of came to was and there's definitely some mindfulness stuff, right? Like just taking a moment, getting present, do uh, paying attention to your breath, stuff like that is is really good. But then I got into this series of questions. Uh, that is helpful where I will just ask myself, what am I doing right now? What, what should I be doing right now? And then I will look at the problem and say, do I have a plan for this problem? And if I don't have a plan for the problem, then I will start making the plan. And that switching into action mode is huge for getting me out of my head in moving in a productive way. So what am I doing right now? Do I have a plan for this problem that's clearly bothering me? If I don't have a plan, I'm going to make it. If I do have a plan, then I'm going to say, am I doing the plan right now? And if the answer is yes, then I'm done. And that actually is my path out is, yep, I have a plan. I am doing the plan. I am having a meeting with this person tomorrow morning when they arrive at the clinic and I've texted them and they said, great, see you then. And so the plan is set and I am doing the plan, which means there is no reason for me to continue in this heads in this headspace. Do I know what I'm going to say tomorrow? If I don't, and that's bothering me, then part of the plan needs to be prepping for my meeting tomorrow, figuring out what I'm going to say. And I go, great. And then I take action again. But for me, that it's, I mean, I'm sure it sounds really dumb. No. But for me, it was just a big deal of what am I doing now? Do I have a plan for this? Yes. Great. Um, is it, then why don't, then I should feel good because I'm doing the plan. And if it's like, yeah, but now I don't know exactly know what I'm going to say in this meeting. Great switch that back to action. But I have found that that I can take action, make a plan, write it down on paper. Sometimes living in my head is not enough. I need to make it into something yes. I can see. Yes. And now I'm taking action and getting this out of my brain. And guys, that's just been a huge thing for me 
mix that with a little bit of mindfulness, some breathing, uh, maybe a post-work uh, post work exercise session, walk the dog, something like that. But I, but I have gotten much better at being able to put that stuff aside and not just grind the gears and grind the gears and grind the gears when I'm, when yes. I'm troubled. Yeah, I, I am um, two ways very similar to you in that regard. Like I have, I'm super hippie for anybody who knows me pretty well. Um, <laughs> so a big, a big thing for me besides the, the breathing, and that's actually been a challenge for me because I don't pause and I don't slow down and I don't breathe. And so intentional learning how to be intentional about breathing um, and some breath exercises was really helpful, but also um, I practice what's called grounding. And so for me, what is really, really helpful is I go outside and I put my feet on the ground. I take off my shoes. I take off my socks. I don't go where we let the dogs be, but I find <laughs> find find some ground at the clinic and just sink my toes into the ground and just breathe. Um, and that makes a world of difference if I have the capacity to then go for a walk or get myself out. But there's something about even though we don't get a lot of sunshine in Washington, just being out in the outside and yeah. connecting with the ground. Um, it's hippie woo woo and it's not for everybody, but it makes a huge difference for me. And then your other one was writing it down. And I found a kind of a an outline or a template that I f- was shared with a, a practice, a consultant that we worked at at my very first practice. And I've kind of stuck with it. And it goes along with kind of our safe, but there's like a series of questions that I asked myself, like, what meaning have I attached to this problem? Like, what am I trying to figure out? Like, what am I actually worried about? What else could this mean? Is there information I don't have? And I force myself to like go through kind of a flow chart to write the things down to figure out, okay, ultimately to land where you landed, which is what is my plan? How am I going to deal with it? Do I need more information? What do I need to be able to move forward? And is that moving forward with having a hard conversation? Is it, you know, dealing with an, an emotion? Like what is what is that plan? But the writing it down and getting it out of my head really makes a big difference. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And everybody, like I said, I love that you talked about grounding. Everybody's got to find their thing. Like find find your thing. Uh, take the time and just try it. Maybe it's yoga. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's mindfulness. There's a million different kinds of mindfulness. I, I love the, your idea of grounding. But what is your thing that can get you out of your head and just present in the moment so you can let some emotions roll on by and then, and then go on and not carry this, this stuff around with you? So I think that's, that's huge. I want to go back to where you started um, a little bit because uh, one of the one of the lessons, and again, this was not on my list, but I love where you went with it, so I'm going to roll with it. Sure. Uh, one of the most important lessons I think that I learned as a leader, I learned from Legally Blonde. <laughs> Okay. I'm just going to put that out there because it's yeah. going to make you laugh uh, and it's yeah, going to give no, you fodder for teasing me. So <laughs> so um, in the movie Legally Blonde, um, Elle sorority sisters, they have a snap cup and it is bedazzled and jeweled. And the snap cup idea is that you write down positive things. And um, it. I remember the very first time I brought the snap cup concept to my practice and I had the cup and I bedazzled it and I glittered it because that's me. And I brought it to my team and I was like, listen, we need to uh, find the good. And it was an uphill battle at first because I didn't approach, I didn't have the tools to get team buy-in. I didn't know a lot of the lessons that I know now, but I just knew that 
there was something so inspiring to me about the positivity of like what what is the good and where can we capture the good and when you said care about your people and but but don't care that that much um for me it was it was the your point about there will be something wrong for somebody mm-hmm. all day long and yeah. if all I hear as the leader, it is very rare that the team comes, that I am one of the first people to hear someone on the team come to and say, oh, I just learned how to do this thing. Or, oh, I just did this. Like, I got to the place where they wanted to come tell me those things. And yeah. as you get further and further up the leadership chain, you're removed from that. And so yeah. I wasn't there to celebrate those victories. I didn't, I wasn't on the floor all the time. So I didn't see a lot of that. And I spent so much time hearing the problems and none of the good. And for me, the snap cup was a way for me to intentionally learn about what is good about our jobs and be reminded not only for myself, but to help the team remind each other about why do we like each other? Because it's really easy to get caught up in the, oh my gosh, the techs aren't doing what I need them to do. Or, oh my gosh, the CSRs are a pain in the ass today. Like it's really easy to get caught up in that frustration because we are people dealing with people all day long. There will always be problems. There will always be conflict. There will always be emotion. And it's really easy for any one of us, regardless of our position in the hospital, to sink into that problem or the negative yeah. side and the snap cup really really helped say what was a good thing that happened what do i want to yeah. say thank you to somebody for like what made me laugh today and the more and more that we were intentional about it the better i learned how to see the team and to stop seeing just the problems yeah yeah i think that that's another i i'm so glad you said that I, I put that down with sort of the mindfulness part of getting present in the moment. Another part of that for me is is uh, knowing that we tend to remember the negative stuff, right? It's it called negativity bias that sticks to us. Part of being mindful is like, what's going on right now? And the other part is, um, what is what is good today? And I, I think that that's sort of part of that sort of getting present and putting things aside. It's really easy to not stop for a minute and say, what was good? And I, I don't have a whole lot of like woo-woo sort of uh, therapy type stuff that I do. <laughs> but but I do have one thing that I have done for years. Yeah. And it's, it's journal, but it's not traditional. I guess not journaling where I write in. All I do is a whole, the whole notebook is just a, the date and three things that were good today. And that's it. And, and if I have more than three, I keep going. But for the most part, I just, I want three things. And I have that notebook by, by my bed and I can just look and I look at that notebook and I believe I have a good life because of all the things that are there. And they're not the things that you necessarily think of. They're just things like I had a great cup of coffee with Stephanie Goss today and really enjoyed our conversation. And like, man, if you look back at the end of the day and you're like, I had a great cup of coffee with Stephanie Goss and I enjoyed the conversation. I went for a beautiful walk at lunchtime and I had dinner with my family and, and my daughter cooked it. You're like, that's it. That's a simple, stupid. I think you're living. I think you're living a good life. And, and like to me, to be able to look back and objectively see, oh, there are a lot of good things here. That that has been a big deal as far as me feeling good. And just just I don't know. It's one of those things. Now at this point, I just I just kind of enjoy it. And I I flip back through that a lot because you'll look back at a date and you'll be like, oh man, about four months ago we had those people over for dinner. And it was really it was really wonderful. Or, 
oh man, we I remember uh, you know the last time I had co- coffee with Stephanie was you know six weeks ago. We should do that again. And you just kind of I don't know that that kind of fits in that whole sort of mindfulness and holding on to what's good. Hey friends, are you a veterinary practice owner? No. Well, are you a veterinary practice manager? If the answer to either of these questions is yes, I want you to keep listening. If it's not yes, you can take a quick pee break or get some water before we head back into the podcast because I've got something for my practice owners and my practice managers. We are hosting our first ever practice leader summit. And if you're not an owner or manager and you're still listening and you're thinking, but I'm a practice leader, don't worry. We've got you. We've got more events coming, but this first one is happening in December in Greenville, South Carolina. It will be decorated for the holidays. We are going to come together. Now we're going to come together, but we're going to be separate. What are you talking about, Stephanie? Well, Andy and I have planned a whole bunch of new content with our team, and we are excited to bring managers together to talk to other managers and owners together to talk to other practice owners. And then we're going to put everybody together and we are going to get to work. That's right. We're going to work on our practices. Our ideal hope would be that manager and owner combos can come together, but we recognize that won't work for some practices. So we have plans to hook you up with other owners and managers if you're coming solo on either side. So don't worry, but don't delay. Head over to the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash events because we want to see you there. And that means you have to sign up because this will sell out. Don't miss your chance to come work on your practice with your practice owner, with your practice manager. You can find out more information, including a letter that you can use to convince your boss if you are a practice manager or maybe practice owners, some reverse psychology to use on your manager to get them to come to Greenville with you. Again, it's all up at the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash events. And now back to the podcast. Let's let's flip gears for a second. I want to talk right. about the box in the woods. Okay. Uh, so we joke a lot that my my <laughs> fear is always no matter what happens, it's going to go bad, and I'm going to end up living in a box in the woods. And like that's that's where all of this cascade. Like there'll be a, there'll be a one star review, and there'll be a cascade of events that leads to complete financial ruin, and and I live a. And I get divorced and my children will talk to me anymore. And I live in a box by the woods, uh, in the woods. <laughs> and like, that's, that's where, that's where things go. So, I, so we joke about that a lot, but the, but the box in the wood comes from a real place and it, and it comes from here. And this is sort of a part of the leadership advice stuff that stuff I wish I'd understood early on, you know, we're all, we're all running a hardware system that was built, you know, a million years ago. By, by our cavemen ancestors. Like the way that our brains are wired, we are wired for survival 30,000 years ago. Like that is how we are wired. And so there is parts of our brain that are just set up this way to keep us alive in a nutrient scarce environment. Sure. Which is, which is why, which is why my, I call it the caveman and the caveman wants to drive. We all have a caveman right. or cavewoman and the caveman wants to drive. And so if you let the caveman drive, you get uh, you get wild behaviors that a caveman would like. My caveman believe people are like, listen to your body. Like My body believes that the pizza tree blooms <laughs> once a year. And so we better get it while it's here right now today. 
Like my body thinks that famine could come at any time and completely ignores the fact that I am never more than 10 feet away from food throughout my entire day. You know, it's like, nope, famine's coming, you know, it's like that. And so, um, so a couple of things that the caveman cares about that I think are really important. One of them is status, right? Status is important to the caveman. Status is important because in tribes, well, what happened is if you had a lower status, you had limited access to resources and to mates. And if you were removed from the tribe because your status became too low, you were dead. Like that was it. A person by themselves without, without a tribe was dead. And so status matters and being included in the tribe, it matters. And I say that because for me, understanding the caveman means going, oh, my brain thinks that if I don't have high status with this group of people, I might get kicked out of the tribe. And, and that's not true. But that's but that's the emotional experience that we have is we're like, oh, I need to I need to virtue signal at these people or I need to make sure my status is good. And all of the stuff when I say, oh, man, it's important that people like me or, you know, I, I really struggle with making everyone happy or making people happy. That caveman pushing that lever going, hey, we need we need some status here. We need to make sure we're in a good position in the tribe. Make sure everybody likes you as you're you're more likely to be able to, you know, to to eat first and to, to have a, you know, have a mate and uh, to not get kicked out to freeze to death. And so, so the caveman drives that, that, that whole, like that desire for status is, is, is baked in and the fear is more important. The fear of losing status is baked in. The, the other part of that that's related is in the caveman brain for a lot of us, failure when you're a caveman means death, like you are dead and the modern, our modern mind hasn't changed that much. And so we still attach these 30,000 year old stakes to modern events that do not carry those stakes at all. And so I joke about the idea that like, I'm going to, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a one-star review and it's going to end up with me in a box in the woods. That's not really what my caveman brain says. My caveman brain really says, you're going to die. Like that's what it says. Like if you, if this fails, you're going to die. And that is so ridiculous. But at some level, basal lizard brain level, that's what my body believes. And so when I joke and say, I'm going to live in the box in the woods, what's really happening behind my eyes is I am calling that out. I'm going, the idea is if I fail, if my, um, if my, if my employees decide they don't like me, they're all going to leave and I'm going to starve to death and no one's going to like me and I am going to die. And that's what my caveman says. And you go, that's ridiculous. And of course, when you lay that down and you call it out, you know it's ridiculous. And then that, and then that fear goes away. You go, that's ridiculous. None of that's going to happen. But boy, if you don't call it out and you don't catch it, I have 100% seen people reacting emotionally to basic HR situations as if their life, like they are scared to the level that you go, none of this is worth what you're talking about. Like none of this is worth the weight and the fear that you're giving to it. You know? Um, and like I, I just see I've seen doctors be like, what, you know, she's really angry. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean for you? Well, she might write a one star review. And I'm like, is that are you gonna die from that? No. 
she might file a board <laughs> complaint. And I'll go, that would be a that would be a crappy couple of months. But did you like die? That, get me wrong. <laughs> but you will not die. Like, what if they took your license away? Seriously, what if they took your right. license away? Right. Then you will do a different job and you will not die. Um, and again, like I just I bring that up and I hope I, I, these are all sort of weird constructs that I have in my mind and things I've thought a lot about. I don't know if they're helpful to other people. I hope that they are. But that the whole like the caveman mind of Andy, if this goes badly, you're going to die like that. I But that's why when we talk about uh, me ending up in a box, that shorthand for that type of fear of if this goes badly, all is lost. And like, no, no, it's not. I I love that. And I think my l- last one, I'm going to piggyback off of your fear, because I think this was a this was a big lesson for me. So I came from the team. I was a CSR and then became um, an assistant, became a CSR lead and then an assistant manager. And so I wish I had learned the lesson much earlier on that there is a huge difference between love, respect, and fear in the team. And when I Mm. became, when I stepped up above my peers positionally, I reached for the fear leveler a lot because I was like, well, I want them to respect me and I need them to understand that I mean business and I can't have them look at me like their friend. And in my immature management brain thought, well, I need them to be afraid of the consequences or they're not going to take me seriously. And you're laughing and it's like, uh, now I look no, back no, and of course. <laughs> and well, laugh at- no, but I, I can see this. I could, I know you well enough to say, okay, I can see this. <laughs> also, I know you well enough to say, this is, this is so funny. Like, this is like, you're, it's like the little mermaid has had enough and I'm going to, going to, that's it, crab. I'm gonna kick some butt if you don't get on board with this. But like, it, but it really was like I, I was like, okay, this is I'm gonna reach for the fear lever. And then there were times to to the point that you and I have already talked about where, like, you want to care about your team. And so I leaned too far in the direction of I want my team to love me. I uh, like how they view me matters so much to me. And I need to be loved and adored, and I need to make them happy. And as we've already talked about you can't freaking make them all happy someone is always going to be pissed off about something that you did as a leader like that's just the reality of the position and so both ends of that spectrum I wound up screwing myself (laughs) over leaning too much into either one of those sides and what I found and what I wish I had found much earlier on in the process because there was a lot of painful lessons at both ends of that spectrum is that the respect in the middle is where I want to be. And that comes with time and patience. It isn't something that it isn't a lever that you can pull. You have to earn it. And showing up for my team, doing what I said I was going to do, caring about them, but not caring too much, not being afraid to hold them accountable, but not being a dick either. Like that, that middle ground is what earned me the respect. And I wish that I had known that lesson way earlier on because I burned myself and I burned some bridges yeah. along the way trying to lean into the the love or the fear too much. Well, it's so unsexy and so like unrewarding when you say, what is the answer? Well, it's a little bit, it's a little <laughs> bit of both. It's kind of staying in the middle. 
Like that is not the answer that people people want to be like. No, tell me how to yell at people so that well, I can they tell you respond. how to yell at people, or or tell me how to love them unconditionally and have infinite. Pain. It's like that, neither of the like. It's a case by case basis, and you're going to have to keep feeling it out, and you're going to swing a little bit like a pendulum, and that's okay. Um, but it's, it's really, it's the middle path. It's finding balance. And like, we talk about that every, every week on this podcast, but like that really, that really is, um, that really is what it's about. Yeah. And I have learned, like, sometimes I have to, I pull a little from both sides. Do you need me to mom you right now? Like I, I've stopped yelling at people. Like I've stopped being the one that's like, let me make you afraid of me. Do you need me to mom you? Do you need some accountability? Like I can do that. Do, yeah. you need a, do you need a hug right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like, do you need some love right now? Because I can lean into that too, but from the middle ground. <laughs> I've heard the question, do you need to be heard, hugged, or helped? Uh, and I'm like, no, you need to be heard, uh-huh. hugged, or helped. Uh-huh. Uh, I like yeah. it. <laughs> I said, I was, there was this bit on the office and uh, they asked Michael Scott, would you rather your employees fear you or love you? And he said, easy, both. <laughs> I want them to fear how much they love me. And I'm like... I got, I, I can, I can relate to that. I get that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, oh, it's, um, it. yeah, it's some of that. I thought I got, um, I, I got my last one, uh, that I'll, that I'll put down is again, I, I am still not a patient person, as you know, as you know, you're not, Boy, I've come a long way. I'm shocked. I have come a long way, but I was, I had a long way to come. Uh, so, yeah. so yeah, uh, yeah, I'm still not have. a patient person. But I've gotten much more patient. Yes. And I did not understand the value early on of slowing down to go fast. I don't I didn't believe it. I heard people say things like that, that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And, and as far as working with your team, I didn't either I didn't believe it or I didn't really understand. And the number of times that I have tried to sort of cut corners and he's like, let, let, just, just tell everybody, like, don't go through the process of asking what they think. We don't need to, we don't need to pre-wire. We don't need to have side conversations ahead of time. Just get them in there and let's tell them what's up or what's going on. Let's just like, we'll tell them what the deal is and they'll understand those things have gone wrong so many times, <laughs> so many times. And... I, it took me, it's taken me 20 years to get to the place where I truly recognize that sometimes slowing way down and bringing everybody together and having the conversation and listening and, you know, and walking people through what the idea is, is so much faster than trying to just tell them what the deal is and what we're going to do. And I just didn't get that. I also, uh, in this, in the same vein, I always wildly overestimated how much I could accomplish in a year. Always. I was like, this year we're going to do these things and we're going to do all, and like, they just, it, <laughs> I was always way short of what, of what, of what mm-hmm. we could do. And I just like, I would look at a team of 25 and be like, eh, we'll get them on board in a week. No, we won't. <laughs> no, we won't. There's nothing we're doing with 25 people in one week. Uh, it's just, it's just not, but it, I've come a long way in that regard where we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate the distance we can cover in 10 years. 
And so yeah. getting my head into a more mature place of like, you know what? We're going to think about what we're doing by quarter and say in three months, what are we going to fix? What are we going to do? And then the next three months, we're going to fix something else. And people go, God, that's slow. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. We are going to keep fixing things and we're going to keep going. And yep, and we're going to take our time and we're going to explain things to everybody and we're going to pilot things and make adjustments. And But we are going to keep going. And I just didn't get that when I was young. I, 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 I wanted to put the pedal down. I really thought that if you had great ideas and you had the right answer, people would hear you and know it was the right answer and get on board. And like, that has not been true. I think there's this, there's this thing where people come out of meetings and go, God, that meeting could have been an email. And I, I've come to, to hear that and think, could have been an email if you would read email. And <laughs> if you would read email, it could have been an email. If you could read email thoughtfully and deeply and then ask questions in response to the email, could have been an email. But that ain't happening. None of that is happening, especially it's not happening across a group of 25 to 50 people. It's not happening. And so it could not have been an email. It had to be us all coming together and walking through and taking questions and working together and everyone doing the new process so they could see how it felt. Like that's that's the level of slow, one foot in front of the other baby steps that had to happen in order for us to actually get traction and make this sink in and people to actually do it, make the changes we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, you you know, we uh, we have been going through incredible growth as a company over the last two years, but really over the last like nine or 10 months. And it's funny because you and I have had some conversations about walking our talk. And you and I have talked about how we talk about this stuff every day. Like you and I are teaching, we're doing workshops, we're lecturing, we're doing the podcast, like we're talking to people, we're Mm -hmm. we're engaged in the community, we're having the conversations and we're talking about these lessons and the slowing down to go fast is a is a really good example and we have to force ourselves to remember like yes. to do like we're talking about it but like do like this is hard work everybody yeah. and like we are not immune to it and you and I have had that conversation and have have grown in our relationship to be able to say like how are we doing like on a scale yeah. of 1 to 10, 10 being where we are listening to every piece of advice we would give a mailbag listener who writes into the podcast and zero being it's a freaking free for all. Like, where are we at? You know, yeah. and 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 having to look at ourselves honestly and hard as leaders and say, like, are we showing up the way that we want to show up? And the answer is not always yes. Like the answer sometimes is n- no. And it's really hard work. And so there's lots of times where people um, look at us and they're like, you know, you and Andy just, you always have great answers and you know what to say. And like, and I'm like, oh, that's because we get it wrong. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. just as much as we get it right. You know? Yeah. I, I think a lot, I think a lot about running teams and running businesses is it's a lot like going to the gym where, yeah, there is technique and you can, you know, you can learn the proper technique for lifting and things like that you still got to pick up the weights and the weights just get heavier. Like as you move up, it's just, it's a, they're just heavier weights. And so 
you always again. I'm, I'm working hard not to do CrossFit metaphors. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for it. I'm no, like, he's not, talking not about the gym. We're, not, we're just talking about a gym, a <laughs> random gym. But, but but it is that right? Like it's simple. That doesn't mean it's easy. And some days you're tired, right? And some days you you know you just don't. You want to cut it. the corners, and, and exactly right. And some days you cut you cut corners, and then and then you're like, oh, you know, I got to I got to go back. I got to go back and fix this now. And like it's like yeah, it's simple, but that doesn't mean it's it's easy. And the, and the unfortunate thing is, and I've heard this from the absolute top people in massive corporations that you're like those people are crushing it, and they're like it never gets easier. Yeah, I talked to um, <laughs> yeah. I give you just a random example. I you mind. I talked to Paul Pion, Dr. Mm-hmm. Paul Pion, who's mm-hmm. the founder of Venn. Yeah, and Venn is a huge company, right? And a wonderful company. They do so much for our profession. I called Paul Pion up one time. I was like, "Hey, I got this thing I'm wrestling with. What do you, <laughs> what do you, you know, what do you think?" And, and sort of talked to him a little bit, and and uh, basically, I was like, "Have you figured out how to how to make this problem go away?" He was like, "No, no." <laughs> And I was like, he got advice and he was like, buckle up. It doesn't get easier. I'm like, that was there. He hung up the phone. Like, All right, thanks. He hung up. And he's uh, like, well. It was not the pep talk. It was not the pep talk I was looking for. But it also made me feel better where it's like, uh-huh. I don't know what the hell you're supposed to do. This is, I've been doing this a lot longer than you and it still bugs me. And I'm like, okay. Like, I, I found yeah. comfort. I found yeah. comfort in that. Well, at least I'm not suffering alone. No one's got it all figured out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was it. Oh, this was fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's Thanks always, for doing this with me. It's always a good episode when we end and we're both laughing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it was so fun. I yeah. love this job. Yeah. Like, I love this job. Me too. I love this, it's not easy, but man, I, I do love it. I tell you, like, just turn it back real quick on Uncharted for a second. It's like, you know, the best thing is being with people who have shared hardship. Like, it's never easy. For sure. And, you know, and, and it's, it's, the weights are always heavy. And as you get better, you just seem to find bigger weights. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then that's just, just what it is. And so everybody, everybody's, everybody's kind of, everybody's struggling, I think. Well, and I, I think that's one of the things I love the most. And I, what I love about your conversation with Paul is like, he could have been leaned into the toxic positivity and been like, oh yeah, yeah, everything's, you know, you'll figure it out and everything will be great. But sometimes the best thing you can hear is like, I I get it. Like that. I don't have the answer. Like I got nothing and it doesn't, the suck doesn't go away. Like sometimes just hearing that and just hearing like, and, and I get, I get it. I see you you know, the, the virtual hugs, like that's one of the things that I love the most. And I think is one of the hardest things to explain to people about a community like ours is just that shared connection of like, yeah, sometimes there's, sometimes you have all the advice in the world. Sometimes it's just showing up for each other and being like, yeah, this, this does suck and you'll get through it, you know, like, and being the, being the cheerleaders for each other. Oh yeah. Well, there's that, that old story I like to tell about the person who falls in the hole and a bunch of people walk past him and, and, you know, he calls for help and then they kind of, you know, superficially try to help from, from up high. And then his friend comes and jumps into the hole with him. And, and the guy's like, oh, I, I really appreciate you jumping in this <laughs> hole with me, but now we're both stuck. And the friend goes, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know how to get out. And you go, ah, oh, that's really useful. And so that, it's kind of that thing with Uncharted is to be like, ah, you know, 
I've been I've been down here before, and so sometimes that's that's all you really need to hear is not like no one there's there's problems we all wrestle with that you don't expect there to be a magic solution that makes everything go away. Sometimes you just want to hear from somebody else who's like, man, I I this is I I had the same feeling. I got stuck in the same way. This is kind of what I did, and it took some time, but I clawed my way out of it, and and you will too. And you go, okay, cool. So I'm not a doofus for ending up here, and and the answer is no. <sighs> well, have a great week, everybody. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Take care. Well, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We truly enjoy spending part of our week with you. As always, Andy and I enjoyed getting into this topic. Um, I have a tiny little favorite ask, actually two of them. One is if you can go to wherever you source your podcasts from and hit the review button and leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback and knowing what you think of the podcast. And number two, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. Andy Rourke, you were right.